welcome back to Off the Cuff, a special, a Brightman special. Sorry if I'm if I'm a bit sketchy, like. Um, obviously, week one of season two, there's three of us. Week two, me and Josh. Week three, it's just me. So if you're any good at recognizing those mathematic patterns that we had to do, or that maybe you have to do when, when you do a job interview, you know, those online tests, you might have guessed that, you know, next week is going to be none of us. So... No, I hope that's not the case. I'm sure we'll all be back next week. I will definitely be around. Let me take a little sip of this. This is the ultra black one, which I just walked into the corner shop and I was really disappointed to see they had no Monster Zeros. And then I saw this one. I've never had this one before. Cherry is actually my favorite flavor, so. Doesn't really taste much of cherry, which is quite disappointing. So green is still the best. Um, good day for me today because I just turned up when I wanted. Didn't need to be a bang on time. No one's waiting for me, apart from the podcast room. And uh, therefore, it's all on my terms. I'm a bit hot. Very nice day out in London today. And it's the 18th of May on, on a date recording, um, which means that tomorrow, three years ago tomorrow, was the day I won my pro card. So there's a little bit of fact for you. Um, I got so many suggestions. So firstly, thank you for suggesting. Um, there's honestly way too many, in fact, but I am very appreciative of all the ideas. Um, obviously, I'm going to try and kind of not condense it as such, but bring them together in a way that makes for like a digestible and chronological story, as it were. Um, but loads of the questions are going to be answered within that. So I'm not going to go through all these questions see those, and answer them one by one because I just think it makes for a really disjointed and unenjoyable listen so what I will do is just, I'm going to sort of talk through I guess my story but in doing that I will answer a lot of the questions that are in here and then if I feel like I'm stuck at the end and I've not done enough then I will uh, I will perhaps do a, uh, a bit of a quick fire Q&A so with that said the, uh, the, the topics for this podcast if you like um I'm going to talk about sort of where it all began for me and, and, and way before that, in fact, and what I think sort of impacted who I am today, I guess. Um, and actually, this is some of the stuff that in my last like bout of counselling, therapy, whatever, we went over and it was actually quite interesting to sort of get an insight into that because I'd never really thought about it before. So that's quite interesting. And then I'm going to talk about like adulthood, like early adulthood, how I thought life was going to go versus how it actually went. Um, I definitely had this uh, unrealistic expectation of like life's going to be easy. I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this. Family, kids, bang. And that's how life will go. Obviously, it's not gone anything like that, but um, that is a good thing. Then I'm, I'm going to go in detail about my time at John Lewis. So that sort of corporate life, I guess the few years that sort of made me like who I am today or what I am today in terms of an IFBB pro, um, an online coach, how that how that all uh, came to fruition, um, how turning pro changed everything um, almost overnight, uh, and then the COVID lockdown, how I turned that from an opportunity or for, from what I thought was going to be a disaster to a, a massive opportunity. Um, and then I'll talk a little bit about my biggest influences, like both people and moments throughout this career, if you want to call it that. I suppose I call it that. I need to stop downplaying it. I always do that. Can I call it a career? Yeah, of course I can. And then um, what I think's made sort of my online coaching business somewhat successful, and I'll probably touch on why I can only say somewhat successful when I think actually if I be frank with myself, it's, it's a pretty successful business. Um, and how I've gone about implementing the changes that I think have made it most successful. So hopefully that'll be quite useful. And then if I've got time, which I'm sure I will have at the end, I'm going to talk about sort of my favorite and maybe least favorite moments of the last few years. Uh, and also my dreams slash plans going forward. So strap in and get ready for a whole hour of my voice. And I want to sit back and relax whilst I lay it all out for you. So let's begin story time. So childhood. The reason I, the reason I wrote childhood um, was because one of like the clearest memories I've got of, of being a kid. This is this is hilarious. Actually, when I think back to it, every Wednesday I, I went to I went to a where I'm from, where I grew up, Lincolnshire, there's like an 11 plus, you did a test and then you went to one school or another, both all boys schools. Um, and I went to this school, this all boys school obviously has its own impact anyway, up to year 11. And then obviously the girls get introduced. There are all girls schools around, so obviously we had friends, female friends. Um, 
but one of my like clearest memories is every Wednesday as I sort of got older and older, or actually throughout the whole of school, I would run at whatever time it was that it came out to this sports board and find out whether my name was on the team sheet for football and then rugby. Um, I played football and rugby consistently from a young age, um, or I, I played football from consistently from a young age, and then I played rugby when I started going to secondary school. And I I loved playing sports. I loved being in a team. I loved working with people. Um, I loved having a you know a goal or a target or something to compete with. The bottom line was I was never that good. <laughs> I was never that good at either of them. Um, I, I would say at best I was like a squad player. Um, in football, I didn't even make it to be a squad player. The local team um, were, I, I would go and train with them and I'd never get signed up year after year. I would train religiously week after week. My mum and dad would, mum and stepdad would take me every week and I would never get, I'd never get signed up for the team. And it honestly was like, it slowly broke my heart. And then I realized that when at the, at the day that I did realize like, oh, I'm not gonna be a pro footballer. I think I'm pretty sure I cried. And that was at a young age. But it was, it was never going to happen. Like, it was never, ever going to happen. I was nowhere near good enough. I was a very small kid. Wasn't particularly quick. Wasn't particularly technically very good. But just loved playing football. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, I was never very good at it. And then rugby came around in secondary school. And I was a bit better at that, but still squad player at best. Um, we'd be lucky to be on a starting team sheet. Normally a sub is what it is. And I think that had quite a quite a big impact on me because I always felt that I was never like, I was never like excelling at anything. I was never really good at something and that's all I wanted to be. And so I think that kind of shaped what happened with, with bodybuilding because uh, I continued with that sport all throughout secondary school, like I said, despite not being that good at it. Um, I then went to uni and I sort of had to make a decision like football or rugby. And honestly, whilst I preferred football, I knew more about football, you know, tactically, technically, whatever. I just wasn't good at it. I was no good at it. Um, and therefore, I was like, there's no problem me going to play football. I'll do rugby. And there was two rugby teams at Coventry University where I actually went. And I was I was a regular starter in the second team, which for me was like, yeah, that's cool. That's good enough. Um, and I got picked for like the varsity match against Warwick and whatever. So I felt I felt like a, a decently valued member of the team there. But I was never as I was never the, I was never good. You know, what I mean, I was OK at best. I made up the numbers, as it were. Um, and it was at uni, really, that that kind of football came into things, uh, football, I wish, bodybuilding came into things. Um, when I was growing up, my mum, my stepdad and my dad were all into training, all of them. Um, so much so that my stepdad actually built like a very small gym, probably no bigger than this room like, on the side of the house that we lived in. Ironically, never set foot in there, or I did and I hated it. I used to go in there, I would train and my stepdad, all respect to his name, would try and help me and I just didn't like it. I didn't like being told what to do. I just wanted to do my way and I, I couldn't do that because whenever I was in there, there was other people in there and I just wanted to do my thing. So despite having this amazing opportunity to actually start building my physique like Jeff Seed vibes, I never did it. Um, I always shied away from it. I did, a, you know, I trained a bit here and there like with schoolmates at gyms, but never stuck to anything. Um, and therefore, or well not therefore, but you know, that was partly to do with it. I was a really small kid. So I went to uni. I hit puberty really late. I remember I've got distinct memories of being like 16, 17 and being like, Jesus Christ, when am I going to get armpit hair? Checking down my pants for any, for any <laughs> and, uh, and I hated that. And I hated that. I hated being small. I hated having no facial hair at the time. Like, that's not why I've got a beard now. Um, and I just hated being this small, puny kid, no good at sports, not strong, not quick, just nothing special, nothing stand out about me. Um, and so having gone to uni, I kind of got away from that home gym, I guess. And, uh, and I made friends with a, with a, with a guy who I started training with. And, and that really is when I started to fall in love with it. Um, and I guess when I look back, my motivations for training were, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to train to like impress girls. I just wanted to be bigger than I was. I was probably touching six foot, maybe five, ten, six foot when I went to uni, but I was actually like 10, 11 stone, which. I don't even know what that is in kilos, but it's pretty slim. Like I had a very athletic build, I was very slim. Um, and I didn't like that, I wanted to be bigger. So I started training. And once I caught the bug for that, the first year I trained and I just tr I just trained to failure. I was just, I would just try and get as strong as I possibly could. Um, I, remember, I remember being buzzing the first time I benched like 100 kilos. Um, 
And I just tried to get stronger, just without even knowing it, I progressively overloaded. And at that point, I wasn't educating myself or anything. I just thought, oh, if I just train until I can't train anymore, like I will get better. Um, and obviously I saw a bit of a response from that. I then did actually start quite enjoying training with my like my, my stepdad when I, when I come home for summer and things like that. So things had changed um, and they'd moved house by then as well. So we were going to like a public gym and it just felt different. Um, it was actually in second year that I met met a guy called Fraser, who's now one of my still one of my closest friends, and he was much further along in that journey than me, but much bigger than I was, much more skilled at training, um, had done a lot more educating than I had, and he taught me loads about about bodybuilding, about training, and then we sort of went on this kind of crusade together that was led by him, um, and that taught me so much, uh, and and I, and I still say to this day, to anyone who's like starting out natural feels like they're not getting anywhere like if you're not tracking your macros and you're not you don't know what exactly what you're eating on a day-to-day -day basis like that should be the first thing you change because that will that skyrocketed my progress all i had to do was start eating in a surplus and continue training hard to failure and i saw i remember seeing loads of progress so basically my three years at uni were spent in a perma bulk um i played rugby the first and the second year and then i stopped in the third year um but i literally just tried to put on as much tissue as i could across those three years um and whether it's a mixture of genetics luck the work that i put in i managed to put on about five stone <laughs> so come the end of uni i was 15 or the end of towards the end of uni i was 15 stone 100 kilos and i was absolutely buzzing that i'd hit that hit that body weight um and it was at that point that we decided that we were going to enter this competition. Because as I said, I went to uni in Coventry. Obviously nearby is, is Birmingham, the NEC. And back then, obviously, Body Powers was a big deal. And they had all these shows on. They had, you know, they had the UK BFF. They had, um, they had all sorts, you know, all sorts of federations. And we just entered into this one because it was, like, super cheap. It was, must have been 15, 30 quid to enter. Um, and in the end, we, we rocked up and, and it was it was being judged by like Jacko De Bruyne, like uh, Tavi Castro and a few other people. So these obviously, you know, these are like those OG influencers that we, we knew about. So we entered it and we started this little 16 week prep whilst I was doing my dissertation, whilst I was at uni. And obviously that meant really that the nights out kind of got put to an end. Um, it meant that we had, you know, everyone had dissertations to do anyway. So it wasn't as it wasn't as busy. Um, but we started this 16 week prep and I got leaner than I'd ever got before. I remember thinking, having ab veins and thinking, oh my God, I'm ready. I've never seen this before, but obviously I was miles off. Um, but that went well, that show went well for me. I, I came second out of like 70 competitors on day two. Um, and it was at that point that someone said to me, do you have an Instagram? And I was like, no, you should start one. So that was where the social media journey began. So that was my like first experience of competing. And as I said earlier, having gone through childhood and never found anything that I was good at, never found a never found a home or a place somewhere I felt I belonged. Having finally done all right at something, I didn't win, but second out of seventy people on on one day for me was like mind blowing. And I just remember finally having this feeling of like, oh shit, I might be good at this. So um, that really lit a fire in my belly. I remember feeling quite almost like quite emotional having like do it like achieving that. Um, obviously it's, it's a lot of hard work or it took a lot of hard work. We, our dieting methods were horrendous. I'm not going to go into that today, but we did something called carb backloading, which you can go and look up if you want. Um, I just advise you not to do it because the science behind it is flawed and it's horrendous. Um, but yeah, we did that. And then I remember thinking, yeah, I'll do this again. And obviously that was at the end of uni. So uni ends, I've started this, I've started this, this Instagram, um, separate to my existing one. And uh, and I'm posting fitness content. I'm talking about what I'm doing. Um, and God, you still be, you still be able to find those posts if you scroll years and years back. And I'd hate to know what's even in them, to be honest. But it began. And uh, at that point, it was it was it, it, you know it become a lifestyle for me. My fitness power was a daily occurrence. Training would always happen. Um, I would always train to failure. My appetite for knowledge and sort of self-education continued i would listen to podcasts i would listen to youtube videos i would educate myself and i think i probably got lucky fortunate in that i took my information from the right sources from early on so obviously you can go on instagram and you find all sorts of shit you can find people telling you to do v-bar rows for example um and i think i got 
quite lucky in that the you know the people I followed and if I think back uh, like early early days it's it's like Josh Josh for example who I'll come on to later on Josh Bridgman obviously was one of the earlier people that I followed um and I think I was I was I was following smart people and, and these smart people were taking their information from even smarter people and that that meant that the information I was kind of uh taking on board was was really useful and therefore it, it it helped me on 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 that journey that I was going through so uni comes to an end I go back home to my mum's um I get a job in in the John Lewis shop in Cambridge and honestly like life was easy at that point because I was I was living at home um so I'd work five days a week in a shop on a shop floor live at home minimal outgoings minimum wage like 12 grand a year but obviously had no outgoings so life was chill like I was coaching and uh but that doesn't mean that it was what I wanted to do. I always like that. I was working with people, and no disrespect to anyone that does this, but I was working with people that had been there on the shop floor in the same job for 25 years. And honestly, my God, I could not think of anything worse. Like that to me would be torture. I used to clock watch all day. My days would go slowly. And I'd just spend my time thinking about what I'd rather be doing or how I'm going to get out of here and get a better job. Um, but obviously what never stopped was, was my training. My training continued. Um, I carried on training. And I carried on trying to better myself and better my physique and keep learning and, and grow this social media thing. Um, but yeah, my God, I wanted out of that. And and I remember this, uh, again, I remember this real clear moment of, I'd finished uni, I'd got this job, um, which was not my first choice, but it was a job nonetheless. And uh, I remember my friend came to Cambridge to meet me for lunch one day and he got a job in a bank in London. And I just, I just like, I just was so bitter. I was so bitter and disappointed and unhappy with where I was at. And just thinking, this is shit, like, when's my life going to change sort of thing. And uh, and I, I'd always had that feeling. And I, and I had it for a long, long time following that as well, which I'll come on to in, in sort of later life. But I wanted to talk about early adulthood and how I thought life would go versus how it actually went. So after this eight months that I spent at John Lewis on the shop floor, as I said, still training, still trying to grow my Instagram um, and just hoping something would come along. Um, I decided to apply for a job in the head office of John Lewis, um, really entry level job in John Lewis. They have like levels, so like level one is like MD and then level 10 is like shop floor staff. So I went from a 10 to a nine and I got this entry level job at, um, at head office. Now I did English and journalism at uni because I found writing quite easy. I found it, I found I had a way with words on, on, on paper or on the computer. And so I did English and journalism because I thought it'd be relatively easy. And I was like, maybe I'll be a sports journalist. But honestly, I had no idea. And I still had no idea. But I got this job at, at John Lewis head office. Um, again, starting salary, like £18,900. Moved to London, spent 650 quid a month on rent, 200 quid a month on food, and didn't leave myself with much. Maybe left myself with two, 300 left over, which meant that I, again, I spent this period of time really quite miserable. Um, because my expectation of life, and this is what I was going to get onto, was that, you know, I'd finish uni, I'd get a good job, I got my degree, I'd get a good job, I'd be on 35k, be comfortable, and then I'd just work my way up, and that's what I thought would happen. But instead, I got this job at John Lewis in the shop, and then in in the head office. Had no money, didn't even enjoy the job, was not very good at it either, because it was all Excel, Excel spreadsheets and numbers. I don't know why they ever gave me the job, but it was all about numbers, and I'm I'm terrible with numbers. Um, I got like a C at GCSE maths, like numbers are not my forte and so uh and so i remember getting there on like day one or the day two and being shown like this excel spreadsheet and thinking what have i done here like, i am so far out of my depth um but obviously i was there thank thankfully they were really patient with me john lewis is a nice place to work there's no doubt about that and uh and i just you know just cracked on and i was like right i'll just work hard i'll try and get promoted and then you know my finance will be a bit better and i'll be a bit happier um, and that went on for probably 18 months. I was in this job. Um, but again, still training every day. That was my outlet. I would I would go to work. You know, people might go out for drinks or whatever. I'd just go home. I'd have a meal. I'd go and train. I'd come home, chill out for an hour, and then go to bed and then do it all again. And that was my life for like the following, following sort of 18 months. Um, and... I didn't. I did one show actually in that period of time. I, I sort of stepped up and did uh, the UK BFF show, and that was the first show that I won, which you've heard me speak about before. But that was the like UK BFF juniors in Wales, um, the Welsh Grand Prix or whatever, and I won it. 
And it was at that point I was like, oh shit, I think we might be on something here. And I always had this, uh, I always had this feeling of like, there's something, there's something better for me out here. There's something, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea what it was, but I, it was like blind faith, delusion, if you like. I had, I had, I had delusions, delusions of grandeur. Um, but just like a, a almost yeah, a delusional confidence that something would come along. And I know I've referenced that a few times, but I think it's really important. And I still think that is one of the things that has led me to get like get to this point. Um, I was just thought there's now nah, there's something there's something out there there's something about me there's something that I will do it will come along um, and despite it never coming along until much much later down the line I, I still just worked towards something I thought I was working towards something bigger and obviously hope well gladly that has come to um, some level of fruition but I yeah I had this I had this expectation that you know to fall into this nice job it'd be easy bang 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 just work the way up and instead yeah I, I, f I spent the first sort of two years in London pretty miserable did manage to get a promotion after a while which I think took me to like 28 grand which made things much more comfortable um I wasn't at this point running out of money at the end of the month and like waiting for that next paycheck to come in and that is a horrible feeling I really hated that feeling and that's one that I've always not wanted to ever have again um it sucks there's no doubt about that like it's a shit feeling um financial worries are not nice and i i do uh i don't envy anyone that that has to worry about things like that um but i've been there i've been there and i've I tried to work my way out of it and luckily luckily with work it happened um so then i guess it makes sense to talk about sort of john lewis and how i managed competitive bodybuilding alongside that um, and, and the answer is probably not very well, but the answer is that this is luck. John Lewis is, as I said, a really nice place to work, very understanding. Um, I really kept myself to myself in terms of bodybuilding. You know, people went to, people knew I went to the gym and that, but if I do a show at the weekend, I would make sure I like booked the Monday and Tuesday off so that I could scrub the tan off and come in and no one ever know about it. I would never share my Instagram, the fitness one, and there'd be no reason for, that, for anyone to find it. I worked with majority females, so not interested in competitive bodybuilding. And uh, yeah, I, I lived two lives. I lived two lives for probably five years. Um, it was only when I got into the, the sort of final like rung of John Lewis, I guess, or my run at John Lewis, that people were a bit more aware of what I was doing, but they still didn't, they still didn't un understand the ex extent of what I was doing in terms of by this point, I was competing for the pro card. I'd gained a, you know, a decent enough following. Um, working towards like, I don't know, working towards 10K or whatever. And uh, yeah, for me, it was very serious. For me, I was doing something that meant the world to me. And I was hungry because I, I, I guess it was at this point that I realized like maybe this is my ticket out. Maybe this is that bigger something that I've been looking for. So um, yeah, in those, in those final few years of John Lewis, how did I manage competing alongside it? Well, rarely ever went out on any social occasions, maybe, maybe Christmas. Um, maybe like Black Friday because that was obviously a big day in in retail, um, but I was just solely focused on what I was doing. I would I would wake up, I'd go to work, I would leave work, I would train nearby, and then I would get home at probably eight or nine, prep my meals for the next day, and go again. Um, and then obviously as prep rolls around, you had, you then had cardio into that, you had steps into that, but I just I had to make it happen. I was so hungry for. I was so hungry for this whatever something bigger was, which eventually was you know that that journey to that pro card that nothing else really mattered. You know, I, I would go to work and I would perform because I wanted to get promoted and I wanted to get pay rises and I wanted to earn more money. But really my passion was outside of that. It was, it was always, it was always the training. Um, it was always building on things outside of, outside of John Lewis. And I guess there came a point for me, which was around the time that I was probably looking to, to shoot for the pro card that I, maybe even after, I remember, I remember sitting in a meeting and watching one of our heads of like talk about sales or whatever and to earn the sort of money that i wanted to earn like i knew i had to like get to his job which would have been two three four maybe five promotions away so we're talking i don't even know man 10 15 years away and i remember listening to him speaking hearing the passion in his voice and i was like jesus christ i do not mirror that passion for at one point selling jumpers at the next point optimizing a website to sell jumpers like just wasn't there for me there was no fire like I, I applied myself because that's all that's all I've always known and I knew that was my only route to earning more money and eventually having a better life but there was no passion there for me there really wasn't um 
I have just always put my everything into whatever I'm doing because you know why do any less like what is the point in that so um yeah there was a few sort of uh quite defining moments for me I guess in those last few years at John Lewis but I've spoken about that prep you know loads of times before it purely is a case of it comes down to time management it comes down to making it comes down to making time for what you have to do um and that for me was was not a big cost because as I said it was it was all I wanted at that time that hunger I had for that pro card that desperation that ache I had to win that pro card was so deep that nothing was going to stand in my way um apart from finances or potentially time and health and when that final season came in in terms of in terms of trying to turn pro i think i did four shows pretty much in a row they were like two or three weeks apart some of them were one week apart um and it was grueling but i don't have memories of it being painful i really don't um i've always said that often that nine to five setup helped me because it really does force you back into a corner. Like I had to get done, I had to get it done. I had to prep my meals that night. I had to get up at five or half five to go to the gym, do cardio. I had to have my bag packed. I had to, I had to then do my cardio, shower, get ready for work. I had to be at work, I had to be at work. I could not be at work. And then at lunch I'd have time and I'd go and walk. But all the time you're busy. And I guess doing that work in between the, the periods of, or the windows of eating meant that some days it flew by, which was great. Um, but the, the the single answer for how I managed it was was time management and making it as frictionless as possible. Like I I moved to a gym that was right next to work so that I could go to work, cardio, work, and then train back at that gym after work, and then go home. And that was just Groundhog Day. I did it every day for six months, and I did them four shows, um, and then obviously lo and behold, the final one. Um, the, the Nordic Pro or Nordic show in IFBB Nordic show in Denmark, Corbin Harbin. It's actually Ringstead technically. Um, you know, I came up trumps, and I knew that it was going to happen sooner or later. But I placed so much pressure on myself that year because, and I've said this time and time again, I still don't think people believe me, but I wouldn't have carried on if I hadn't have won my pro card that year. I wouldn't have. I was ready to stop because I realised I was hemorrhaging money on it hemorrhaging my health, um, hemorrhaging like hemorrhaging relationships and life experience at a time for what? The risk to reward or the cost to benefit ratio was just not there for me if I hadn't turned pro or at least I didn't believe it to be. So me winning that show um, in Denmark was, that was, that was, I think it was, it was either my last chance or my, my second to last chance. There was one more show that I had lined up, which would have been a Spanish one, but luckily luckily I hate using that word I obviously won that show um, and I remember immediately social media blew up I got all these client inquiries I got a load of more followers I think I hit 10k around that time obviously so then you get the swipe up function and and I'd had I had a few clients at this time already but maybe 10 maybe 15 alongside working which I'd do at the weekend and then more inquiries came in and I was like oh shit here we go so um, that was when I that was when I started thinking at very least I could have enough clients to fund my bodybuilding and then you know my 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 money from my career is whatever you know eventually mortgage and, and stuff like that so that was kind of my thesis at the time um but obviously what happened then was covid came around so covid comes around at this time I'm living in Wandsworth with my girlfriend at the time um I um, earning okay money in terms of like corporate but still nowhere near I wanted to and definitely not on a trajectory that I was overly happy with um, still training still doing all that because obviously I'd, I'd just turned pro um, and I was obviously thinking give me two years and I'll and I'll start doing some pro shows and uh, yeah lockdown came in and I'm, I, think, I remember thinking yeah right I said there's so much in that time period I was like this will be like Ebola it will come and go in two weeks and then obviously it got a bit more serious, a bit more serious. And then they called us into a meeting at work and said, you're all going to have to work from home for the next 12 weeks. And it could be longer. But we were like, yeah, right, whatever. But okay, cool. So lockdown came in. They sent us home. Um, we went back to my parents to be out of the flat, to be somewhere with outdoor space. Um, and literally spent the, I guess, the summer there because lockdown started in, what, March? So we stopped, we, we did that. And 
honestly, when that came in, I was like, ah, oh, that's me done. That's online coaching done. I was like, I'm gonna lose all my clients. But after a bit of panic set in initially, I was like, no, hang on. These people still need your help. Um, and whether they're gonna leave or not, you still have a duty to provide a service to them. So I very, very quickly started researching home workouts. I was like, how am I gonna program home workouts? I've never done this before in my life. So I very quickly started researching home workouts. I remember looking at Joe Bennett, he puts content out. Obviously I was coached by Callum at the time. So that was really helpful, like James Muscle Mentors, um, all those guys were putting useful workouts out. And I started building plans for everyone. The first thing I did was build a generic home training plan with three tiers to it, based on equipment. So based on no equipment, please buy bands. Um, please buy bands and like D handles and, and, and we can sort of work things out that way. Two was like bands, dumbbells and like, uh, yeah, bands and light dumbbells. And then three was like bands, light dumbbells, bench. So I built these three tiers of plans, which hopefully I thought would cater for everyone within that time period. And it did. My clients was like, oh, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to buy this. And I was like, oh shit, okay. They're sticking around. And, um, and I really turned that into like a, a huge opportunity for myself from what I thought initially was going to be an absolute disaster. Because I could see everyone panicking. But what I did was just very carefully took this information in that I'd had from the muscle mentors, from Joe Bennett, from Instagram in general, and from what I already knew about training. Because by this point, while I was still working at John Lewis, I'd spent weekends going up to these muscle mentor seminars. I'd work Monday to Friday, and then I'd get a train up to Birmingham, stay Friday, Saturday, Sunday to do a seminar, and then go back to London and work on the Monday. And I'd get back to work, and people would be like, oh, Joe, how was your weekend? They'd be like, yeah, it was all right. So behind the scenes, I was working really hard. I was working overtime to become a better online coach for my clients. And I didn't have the money to invest back then, but I was doing it anyway. Um, and that for me, I'm gonna talk about later in terms of biggest influences, actually the next section. Like the Muscle Mentors, for example, just you know, absolutely incredible. Um, it's a shame they're not around anymore, but I know James is working on a, uh, James Sutton is working on a new project, which I definitely endorse and, and uh, and encourage anyone to get involved in that wants to become a better online coach, not a better businessman, which is the first step anyway. And uh, yeah, so this this knowledge that I'd, that I'd gained over the years and then over the over the seminars and from educating from the right people put me in a position to be able to continue to provide a really good service for my current clients. And then obviously, once I'd sort of got settled into lockdown, I was realizing that actually I had a bit more time. I was working from home every day. And there was quiet periods in the day. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna cap. There were quiet periods in the day where I could sneak off, not sneak off, but sneak off of my computer and onto my personal computer and work on my online coaching. So that's what I did. And uh, and during that lockdown, you know, I was I was I was trying to be as upbeat as possible. I kept putting content out. I was showing people my workouts. I was showing people maybe what to do with their calories during this time. Um, I was really, really lucky enough, and I'm sure you won't be listening to this, but shout out James Bacon, who helped me with a, a facility to train at during that time. Um, so I, I was able to sort of keep this content going. For the first four weeks I trained at home, and I remember literally having a breakdown, and I remember being like, I can't do this anymore. I was like, I'm a fucking pro bodybuilder, I cannot keep doing these band workouts. Um, and my girlfriend at the time said to me, do you know, are you sure you don't know anyone that's got a little facility? And I was like, racking my brains, and then finally I thought of someone. And it wasn't ideal by any means. I would, uh, in order to make this happen, I would wake up at half four, five a.m. during lockdown. I would drive an hour in my little one series out into the sticks, this little shed. I would be, I would go in the little shed, and I'm not joking. The shed was half the size of this room, but it had what I needed in it to train. And I trained, and we, did, me and Cal, did a recomp in that time, so I had interesting content come in. I could, I could show people workouts, which I think rather than rather than feeling jealous, people felt like inspired by it, that it gave them it gave them something to, to, to look at and watch and a journey to continue watching. So I kept it coming and I still kept the home content coming. And I guess I just tried to be like a bit of a shining light in that time for clients um, and for followers to try and help people with, with what we, everyone was going through because we were all, you know, somewhat in this together. And then by doing that, and in combination with that to what I did with my business during that time, with this, you know, having more time to work on it, was uh, was what I think made, well, it's not what I think, this is what made my business. I went from around 30 clients at the start of lockdown to, my goal was 60. I wanted to get to 60 and then I'd be able to have my notes in at my job. I think I ran up right up into the 80s 
80 something clients, which which for me, my mind was blown. I was like, how have I done this? And as I said, it was because of one, the content I kept putting out, I kept showing up every day with content for people on, on, on Instagram to follow, to give workout ideas to, to give you know nutrition ideas to. And then the other thing I did was looked at my business and looked, how can I make this better? How can I make this more attractive? How can I make people want to invest in Team Brightman or Brightman Fitness? And what I did was um, I introduced some things that I'd learned from you know my corporate life. And I'm gonna come on to talk about what I think's made my coaching like successful, but that corporate background gave me a real good insight into what professionalism looks like. I worked in um, kind of uh, online marketing, if it were digital marketing within John Lewis. So there was a lot of emails, you know, all the customer facing emails would have to be, we'd have meeting after meeting after meeting just to sign off one email. It would be checked, it would be rechecked, it'd be checked again. So, and obviously, being a massive company presenting things to, to, to customers, it had to look polished, it had to look perfect. And that is what I saw was missing in the in the coaching industry. My my first coach, um, Rob of, of, of Team LRF, he got me my pro card, but he won't mind me saying this either, but looking at his, his, what he delivered as a product, oh, it was bare bones. Like he sent me my training plan on an email, it was written out and my, on my diet on a WhatsApp. And that was normal back then. That's not that's not any that's not any shade on him because that was just what was happening. But I saw it everywhere, and I was like, "We can do so much better than this." I wanted people to, you know, pay for my service, receive their documents and their um, and their and their and their coaching experience, and be like, "Oh, wow, this is worth the money," because that would make them stay and that would make them realize that it was better than elsewhere. And fancy documents don't make up a good online coaching service, but that combined with the information that I I had armed myself with over the years <laughs> meant that I was able to combine those two and, and provide a very personal but very professional and very polished looking product and everyone likes things that look nice you can't you cannot deny it um, even people that don't appreciate things that look nice I think would prefer to be given something that looks nice than doesn't so that was a real that was a real point of or I guess like a USP for me and I, and I, and I, and I ran with that and how that, dro how that drove inquiries, um, number one, the main thing I remember doing was pulling this information pack together. So I call it, what I call it now is like a service outline document. And it outlines my mission as a, as a, as a coach, because I was a solo coach at the time. The gap in the market that I saw and that I wanted to fill, um, I sort of spoke about what I think is wrong with the industry and what I want to make right about it. And then obviously I detailed, this is what your document's going to look like. This is how we're going to check in. You're going to get video responses. It's really high quality. You're going to get this progress tracker, which is all color coded, and you can you can plot it out and you can fill it in on the go. Um, you will get your nutrition plan, and it will be all macro broke down. There's going to be food choices, and I implemented all these things bit by bit by bit to create this really complete service. I built training plans where you had everything laid out for you. Um, you know, there's, there was videos to follow if you were unsure. If there weren't videos, there were really well-written verbal tutorials of how to perform movements. So I really went to town on making this a uh, service to be proud of. I remember saying that to myself. I remember thinking, yeah, I want this to be something that I'm proud to deliver, a product that I believe in. And that was really the key for me. Um, and that is what I think meant that I was able to attract, you know, I was able to attract clients. That was the other thing I did in lockdown, because obviously all these movements are quite new for people. I, I spent time filming them all. So I went out and I filmed them all on my phone and I uploaded them onto Google Drive and I made sure that all clients had access to them. You know, all these like banded dumbbell RDLs and the the wall hack squad that everyone probably remembers. You know, I, I, I filmed them all and I made sure that everyone was able to understand exactly how to train. So I did a lot. I did a lot in that lockdown and I'm really proud of what I did because if I didn't, there's no way I would have the business I have now. Um, and anyway, as that, yeah, as that lockdown ended and I realized that I was turning a, it what was going to be a disaster into an opportunity a massive opportunity I um I was able to have my notice in at work <laughs> I, I handed my notice in at work the day we completed on our mortgage because obviously I didn't want to change I didn't want to leave my job and then jeopardize that so completed on the mortgage handed my notice in the same day um moved into the flat and uh and just continued at this point yeah like I had to make it work like I'd, I'd taken the leap of faith um and someone asked me um, like what what made me in in the in the question thing 
what made me take that leap of faith? What made me invest in myself? And it was a conversation that I had with Callum, Callum, Callum Raystrick, one of the most influential people in my whole life, undoubtedly. I was on the phone to him. Um, no, I wasn't texting actually. I was out on a walk during lockdown whilst I was still working at John Lewis, but doing this online coaching thing on the side. And uh, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, but he said he literally instilled the belief in me that I needed. And he said, Joe, you can, like you can do this. Like you can absolutely do it. I must have had. I don't know, 12,000 followers by then, more than enough to build a coaching business. Um, I was obviously a pro at this point. So from an outsider's view, like, yeah, why couldn't I make it work? But obviously I didn't believe it. Um, and and it, he really opened my eyes to the earning potential of online coaching in that conversation. And it was at that point I was just like, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to set this number. This is the minimum I need. This is what I want. And when I get that, I'm going to leave my job. And that's what I did. So Callum was was really the reason he was the guy that gave me the push to to do it. Um, all throughout that period of time, I remember talking to to Josh and Tom, uh, messaging them, telling my plans, telling them what I was going to do. They were ever encouraging as ever. They'd already sort of established themselves within this solo entrepreneurial journey. Obviously, Josh being a coach, Tom being a content creator and and, and member site um, owner as well as a as well as an online coach. So I had I had the backing from from all these people. And obviously I had the backing from my family um, and that, you know, all that support enabled me to just go for it, which is what I did. And uh, I think I've spoken about what I think is making my, what I think's made my online coaching um, successful, but the professionalism is undoubtedly the USP that I had for a long time, I think, or one of the USPs that I had or something that differentiated, differentiated my business. The next thing is that I tried to be a good online coach before a good businessman. And that went on for ages, m years. Um, I still haven't had any business mentoring. Um, I'm still working all out as I go. Um, but my, my passion for providing a service to people that takes into account their goals, their goals, not my goals, their health, and this, you know, this, this buzzword of optimality and, and being optimal, is 100% the 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 undertone or the reason why I've been good at what I do because I provide a polished service that looks nice, that feels nice, that looks valuable, it feels valuable. I'm very personal with anyone, I'm very on hand for anyone. And I've continually improved that service, so I don't give people a reason to leave unless we don't get on and that's happened a few times as well. Um, and I think that again is why I'm good at what I do because I tell people how it is. Um, and if someone needs or deserves smoke blown up their ass, I will blow the smoke up their ass in terms of my clients. And if they don't, they won't get it. And they might not like that. But for me, that means that what I say carries some weight and carries some value. And I would much rather be told something meaningful when it means something rather than just because you want to hear it. So I think they're the reasons why it's sort of been successful to this point. Um, obviously, following that, um, uh, sort of establishing myself, I was then in this position, I was able to, to bring Luke on board, which I hopefully you've watched the, the YouTube video I put out on Tuesday, the 17th of May, um, which explains how well Luke's done over the first 18 months. You know, a 21-year-old kid doing the numbers that he's doing, providing the service that he's been providing, there's no one doing it better. There is no one doing it better. Um, and I, 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 I beg someone to try and prove me there is. Not at his age, not with his skill set, and not at the price that he costs. He is unbelievably reasonably priced for what, what, he, what he delivers. And I can guarantee that every single one of the clients that he has worked with over the last 18 months would testify to that. The kid is incredible. Um, he is going far, and he will be rewarded handsomely for staying as part of, of, of Team Brightman for as long as he does, which I hope is forever, honestly, because uh, I'm sort of coming on to what I want to do in the future now, but I don't want this to be Joe Brightman and his two coaches. Uh, I want this to be a collective of, of, at the moment, obviously with Max just coming on board, three coaches, um, and that's something that I'll come on to in a minute as well. Um, my biggest influences, obviously, I've already mentioned Callum, I've already mentioned people like Josh and Tom, but I feel like I should, I should go over that again. I have to put Callum at number one in terms of people in, in, within fitness that have influenced me. Um, he is my biggest inspiration in terms of business. Um, 
my biggest inspiration with regards to like physique development is honestly myself and I don't mean that in an egotistical way but I mean that in that I've just wanted to be the best that I can be as a physique athlete um i i like my physique i always have liked it i just want it to be better than it is currently and a better version of that so my inspiration for that is is me like i don't i don't aspire to be anyone in terms of a physique um especially not now i obviously there's a lot of in feet there's a lot of feet there's a lot of physiques i aspire to or i uh, take inspiration from or motivation from is perhaps more um more accurate but there's no one i want to look like um and the reason is because I can't. I can only be me. I can only look like me, but just a better version of me. So that's why I don't have any really any physique inspirations. Um, but in terms of business and just how he carries himself as a gentleman, Callum is, is the GOAT, in my opinion. I absolutely love him to bits. And I'm sure he doesn't even listen to his podcast because he's so damn busy. Um, but he needs a, he needs shouting out whenever, whenever possible. Um, I have to probably secondly shout out Josh, just in terms of someone that, drives me forward every single day um and i often worry about my ability to reflect and my ability to sit there and say oh well done joe you've done all right here because and and the reason for that is because of the people that I surround myself with josh being josh in particular like he is someone that um you know if i think i'm doing well <laughs> all i need to do is just take a look at him and realize nope you got a long way to go which is uh is as motivating as it is like um i don't know it's mo i was gonna say i was gonna say a bad word but it's not it is it is only motivating i just wish i was a little better at, at appreciating what i've done um because i do fear and my mum and dad have always said this or my mum and stepdad have always said this like when will you be happy and i don't the answer is i don't know the answer i don't mean happy in general i just mean happy happy and and satisfied with, with what I've done. Because as unhealthy as this is, the way that I look at it, no matter what I achieve at what point, like still someone doing way better than me. And uh and I've always thought about um I don't know if this is a quote or just a just a sort of statement, but you have to remember you're only ever showing off to people that have less than you. And that is a really powerful thing to think about. Because people doing better than you, they don't care. They're so focused on what they're doing. They literally can care about your achievements. So when you're showing off, you're just showing off to people that, that have less than you, which may 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 well value, you know, people may well value that and they may see it as inspiration themselves. But to me, it just seems crass. Um, and therefore, I'm not sure at what point I'll celebrate my achievements. Um, there's been a couple of cool moments where I've like bought a car that I, I really liked. I think particularly when I got, when I, when I swapped the one series for the, the Velar, that was amazing, that was a pinch me moment, but there's people, that's cool, you got a Velar, cool man. Like, there's someone out there with a Ferrari, so you better work harder. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, whilst I really appreciate those moments, and they're pretty incredible, it's just like material things. Um, and there's much more important things, I think, to, to aim for and strive towards. So yeah, influences, Callum, Josh, Tom has been a, has been a big influence for me and a big support network throughout throughout this well ever since he sort of befriended me as it were. Um, Louis Blackmore, massive influence, not necessarily um, business or physique wise, but actually just mindset and like mental health and awareness. Self awareness has been huge. Um, and then I guess like my family, um, my my stepdad, my dad, my mum. They all have like very different but incredible qualities that I take a lot from in each of them. Um, my stepdad, I always said, if I could be half the man he is in terms of business, then I would be a happy man. Not true, um, or at least I really realize it's not. The part of the end, but the part of the end of the rainbow moves. Um, he built a business from the age of thirty. Started a business at thirty and sort of finished around fifty-five. Um, which meant that I've sort of seen it all. Um, when I was growing up, I was mostly, well not mostly, but my first few years were sort of spent with a single mum, big up Sharon. Um, and as someone with work ethic and just an ability to get shit done when it needs to happen, when your back's against the wall. Like I, I think back to what my mum must have done to bring me up. She was training to be a nurse and a midwife. She was 21 when she had me. And 
she managed to bring me up whilst training to be a midwife and a nurse, being 21, feeding me, feeding herself, paying rent. It, it blows my mind. And therefore, I dare say that some of that, some of that work ethic comes from her. She is someone that always drilled into me, particularly about like illness and not showing up. Like You always show up. Even if you're ill, you show up. And if you get sent home, you get sent home, but you show up. And uh, and that and that attitude, I think, has definitely rubbed off on me. Um, and then my dad, um, who quite simply is one of the most supportive, kind, caring people that I've ever known and probably ever will know. I always say to new people, if they if they meet my dad, like he's one of the nicest men you'll meet. And and he also has a he also has a bit of a never give up attitude. I think a get shit done attitude. Um, and and that's something that I admire. But the most the thing I admire the most about him is is his his temperament as a person. Um, unbelievable level of support. I've been literally texting him this morning because he's saying, "Are you sorting my flights for America so I can come and watch?" Like he did everything for his family, and that for me is uh, something that I obviously appreciate massively and, and take a huge amount from. So they're probably my my biggest influences, I think. Um, and I spoke here about uh, biggest influences in terms of moments. I guess I've already touched on sort of COVID was a big moment, whilst a very long moment, a big moment. Um, winning my pro card, huge moment. Um, that was sort of flipped things on its head. Um, and then the smaller ones. So just the, the little improvements I've made to my business over time. So introducing free consult calls. I've done this, I've been doing this for now three years. The, the, the uptake I got from that was crazy. Um, unfortunately, now everyone's doing it, so you might have missed the boat on that. Um, the information pack was a big moment that helped influence the business. Um, this podcast is a big moment, uh, not this one, but as a collective. And uh, yeah, I think I think just coming across Callum as a person. I know I, I know I already mentioned Callum, but coming across Callum as a person was a was a huge moment. So they are my biggest influences now. I've written here to talk about my favorite and least favorite moments. Um, there are quite a lot of questions around sort of, well, a few questions around like, how am I? Um, mental health, uh, the gyno procedure, um, loneliness. Uh, how am I doing? Am I putting myself back out there now on the market as it were? And uh, I'm not, this is not a gossip podcast. I'm not gonna go into that in too much detail, but the gyno thing didn't really bother me. It's one of the things that's like a slow burner. And once it's there, uh, there was only one choice um, and it had to be cut out and therefore I looked at it very objectively which was this is going to be unpleasant but it's going to benefit me in the long run and I have to do it and therefore that was the mindset I took towards that procedure and I was right it was horrible um, and it was and it got more complicated than it needed to as well um, but it had to be done and it's done and now I'm fine and I'm happy with the scars and so that's that. So I don't really have any, I didn't have any mental issues with that really. Physically, it was fucking agony. Um, and the first night after getting home, fainting while stood at the toilet and nearly hitting my head on the corner of the bath whilst in the flat on my own was a pretty scary moment. But once I realized I was fine and just a bit shaken up, then it was, I was good to go. So um, yeah, that was, that just is what it is. It had to be done, I had to get it done. Um, how am I now? Right now, really good. Um, I think I've had a sketchy 18 months prior to the last couple of months um, because of, yeah, like personal life reasons, sort of. I, I guess I figured that I had my life planned out um, with like a previous partner, but once that gets removed, whoever's doing it was, um, your plan kind of goes out the window. You have a timeline and losing that plan, losing that timeline was something I found quite unsettling, I think. Um, but now I look at that differently. Again, something that had to happen, I think, the right decision um, and something that you just have to deal with now. Uh, and, I've, and I and I realised that I'd spent enough time in limbo wondering about the decision that I'd made or what had happened. And sooner or later, you have to move on from these things because that will only hold you back, I think. Um, but what it did teach me is an awful lot of gratitude for the business that I've got because on any days when I didn't feel like it, didn't feel like getting up, didn't feel like getting out of bed, didn't feel like doing work, I had no choice. And that is invaluable. Um, you know, people rely on me to help them 
with their lives effectively you know obviously their physique goals but their lives as well and therefore i have no choice but to get out of bed and get working so um that's kind of a, i guess a quite a big uh, an influential thing within a, a darker moment um and then, yeah my favorite moments i guess I, I sort of spoke about them in terms of influences but obviously winning my pro card is that she still probably the best day of my life i've never felt elation like it um new york pro is a really good moment Getting back from the States last year was a really terrible moment when I felt like my, my body was physically broken and I felt like my mind was broken because I wasn't really sure what to do. Um, but again, I was able to lift the weight off my shoulder just by making a decision in terms of do I carry on competing or do I call it a day. Um, I hope that I have more favourite moments this year in terms of competing. Classic has always been the dream and I've not really touched on stuff going forwards, which I will do now for the last few minutes, but classic has always been a dream for me. Um, it's it's the classic physique the the old school physiques are always the ones I've aspired to um men's physique I think is amazing don't get me wrong um but it was it always was a stepping stone for me should I make it to this level um and I'm bloody excited to 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 execute this prep so I hope there's more favorite moments coming coming this year in terms of my plans going forward there was a question around my mental health and and the reasons around potentially stepping away next year Th my mental health isn't isn't the reason for stepping away from bodybuilding um it's actually more my physical health and uh i will at this point i will know better to never say never but i will definitely 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 not be competing next year um because i have weddings and snag dues and i want to after missing this summer or having been planned to miss this summer with prep i want to make sure that i live a life next year so I will not be competing next year. Um, I will be coming off the drugs after these shows, which again is not optimal um, in terms of, you know, uh, muscle retention. But I want kids, and therefore I want to make sure that I can have them. Um, so I'll be looking to to get that all sorted. And uh, and in terms of business, there was a lot of questions about clothing. So the next line of t-shirts the next run of t-shirts are in production so they will hopefully be out during this prep and i'm excited for them um they will be the last time that i do a brightman run of clothing because i want to move away from that i don't want to be selling merch per se i want to be i want to i want a brand um and i don't know if i've made this real public news but or public uh information but like clothing is like my blue sky dream if i could be successful at anything i would love to have a clothing brand so I will definitely be working towards that and I've got things in place now that, that mean that will that will be worked towards. But for now, eyes are on the prize in terms of we've got prep. We've just launched Max. So the immediate goals are to continue growing Team Brightman as a, as a collective. Um, and I'm super confident we're going to do that because Max is incredible, Luke is incredible, and I'm all right. Um, so immediately... Yeah, continue growing Team Brightman, reach, launch this next this next run of clothing, uh, and then I will begin to look at, at the thing after that. And in terms of my idea, which I think I'm happy to be pretty open about with regards to clothing, or am I? I see a gap in the market at the moment in terms of clothing for people like me. Um, and that, I think, is where a lot of products get born out of. I see a, I see a gap in the market for things that I want to wear at certain times is what I will say. Um, but when I release the next thing after this, this last run of Brightman, I want it to be a capsule, I want it to be a drop. Uh, it's not gonna be t-shirts, it will be a full capsule of clothing. Um, and it's just a case of getting it designed and getting it worked on right now and produced and manufactured. Um, but these things take time and I'm, I'm aware of that. So for now, my, 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 my priority, my absolute priority is prep and my coaching clients um, as, as our collective. And we will continue to we'll continue to build this team and, and the features that we offer. Um, the fortnightly Zoom calls with all clients over the last few months have been incredible, really insightful, really useful for the guys. They all get recorded and sent out. Um, I've just introduced a brand new uh, sort of consult process as well. So now every consult call, which is still free, is gonna be more of a client discovery call where they can jump on the call, they send their pictures beforehand and we will give them a physique assessment for free. We will assess their goals and how they get from A to B, obviously for free. And then it's up to them at the end of the call whether they want to jump in into coaching and who they want to jump in with, myself, Luke or Max. 
and they have obviously different prices so it's you know it's accessible for everyone or everyone who should be looking at online coaching and uh and so that is that is my priority for now um because now i have an added responsibility i want to i want to build build max into a an online coach in, in his own right um and one that has authority like i believe luke does now so um that's my immediate uh, immediate goal and then uh, me and Josh have been discussing over the last couple of weeks something a bit more seriously, which I think I definitely can talk about because he's had it on his story a few times, which is potentially a gym at some point. Um, and our discussions will continue. I think we have a long way to go because I think we I think we know a lot, but I think there's so much we don't know and you don't know what you don't know. So we need to research a lot. We need to do a lot of work to make sure that we are capable of, of building something like this. Um, and I don't doubt that if we get the right people, the right brains, the right information, we can build something really special. So that's potentially a little plan moving forward also. Um, wow, I managed to speak for an hour and three minutes about myself, who knew? I hope you found that interesting. I'm gonna leave it here. We will all be back next week, I'm sure. And uh, thanks for listening if you got all this way. I hope that was interesting. And you won't need to hear from me on my own now for uh, who knows how long. But hopefully that gave you an insight into me. Peace out. See you next week.